This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 257. So in today's episode, I wanted to talk about just a few of the various subtypes of landscape photography. Now, first of all, landscape photography is a great genre to start with as it allows you to hone your skills without having to work with other people such as models or portrait clients or family or friends. And most photographers are fairly familiar with landscape photography, which is basically capturing beautiful or interesting images of natural landscapes. But they don't realize that there are subcategories of landscape photography. Today, I will be talking about a few of these various subsets of landscape photography in a little bit more detail. So the first subcategory I want to talk about is panorama photography. Now, when you're out in the world, we have all lived in the experience of wanting to stop and capture everything in an outdoor scene. And many photographers will do just that. They'll stop and snap individual shots that are small pieces of an overall gorgeous scene without realizing it. But it would be much better to capture the entire scene as a single shot. Panorama photography allows us to do just that by taking a shot and then panning the camera a bit and then snapping the next shot. The shots have to overlap at least a little bit so that you can stitch them together and they'll look right later in post-processing. So I recommend using a tripod or some other type of natural stabilizer, such as a fence post, if one is handy. Now, the reason for this is you don't want any movement of the camera up and down. No vertical movement at all. All you want is horizontal movement, and generally you want to pan from left to right to get the next subsection of the overall scene. Now, oftentimes, it's so much better to tell the story of the entire scene in a single large panorama image than to break it up into little tiny pieces where the story kind of falls apart. Now, if you're using a really wide-angle lens, such as a 12-millimeter, then you can really take in everything in each shot much better than with, say, a 35-millimeter or a 50-millimeter lens. Now, I'm not saying you can't do panorama with those other focal lengths. You absolutely can. But you're going to get more in the overall scene with fewer shots by using something like a 12-millimeter. In addition, with a 12-millimeter, you can get up close to something interesting that you can put in the foreground, whether it's a log laying along the ground or a large boulder it's going to make for a more interesting capture having that object in the foreground. And by being able to get close to it with a really wide-angle lens, you can get a lot more detail of that foreground object. Now, many photography editing programs, such as Lightroom or Capture One, have a panorama stitching function built right into them, where the software will look at all of the images see the overlap, and then stitch them together quite perfectly. 
And the most you might have to do is crop the top and bottom of the frame. Now, in the show notes for today's episode, I have some examples of each of these subtypes of landscape photography. So I have a panorama in there. Now, it's not a super fantastic one. It's one I did just playing around a number of years back with my DJI Phantom 3 professional drone. But this was when I lived in Loganville, Georgia, and it was a sunset. So there was some nice color in the sky. And then you had the green of the trees below and the houses, you know, dotting along the landscape. And there was some beautiful clouds in the sky. Just, I thought it made for a really nice scene. So you can check that one out in the show notes. Now, the next subcategory I want to talk about today is long exposure photography. Now, many photographers, myself included, absolutely love to shoot long exposure, whether it's daytime or nighttime. And you can make rough water look as smooth as glass. You can make clouds look really beautiful and stretched out. You can even make waterfalls look misty and sort of like cotton candy, if you will. Now, long exposure photography requires a good deal more patience as it is a much slower process with your exposures being many seconds or even minutes in length. You will need a good sturdy tripod and some neutral density filters as a way to cut down the light as much as possible since you'll be using very long shutter speeds. Now, if you decide to do nighttime long exposures, then you can get great light trails. Or if you're shooting along or overlooking a busy road, the cars will end up looking like laser beams along the road instead of vehicles. It'll kind of give you that uh, jumping into warp effect from Star Trek, if you will. Now, if you post during the daytime at a local park with walking trails, then you can even capture people. And in the final exposure, they will be streaked like the Flash from DC Comics and look like they're moving at super speed, which can be pretty cool. So you can set your camera up on a tripod and then set your time value for the shutter, generally using bulb mode, and then decide on your exposure time. Or if you want, just experiment a little bit. It doesn't matter. You can use various exposure times. Maybe start at 10 seconds and then try 20 and then 30. Or maybe even start at a minute. Go to a minute and a half. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But make sure if you're doing daytime that you have a powerful ND filter such as a 10-stop one, which is what I prefer to use for daytime long exposure landscape photography. Now, in the show notes, I give you an example of two of my images, one of nighttime and one of daytime long exposure. The nighttime one, I was posted along Highway 78 in Georgia years ago, and I captured a some cars and then a tractor trailer that went by during my exposure. And I ended up with white and orange and green and red streaks in the shot. And I call the image the wall of light. But if you look at it, the lights from the vehicles do make it look like a spaceship jumping to warp drive with the streaks you get in the special effects in those movies and TV shows. Now, the daytime long exposure I posted in the show notes is the midpoint of Amicalola Falls in northern Georgia. And I shot that one with a shutter speed of 30 seconds. The nighttime one was also a 30-second exposure. Uh, but on the daytime one, you can see how the water in the waterfall becomes all misty-like. Um, it doesn't look quite like water, but it does look like water. You have to see it to really understand it. But those are a couple of uh, samples of my own long exposure photography that you can find in the show notes. Now, I'm going to take a brief break right here, and then I'll be right back. 
We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now back to the show. And we're back. Okay, so another type of really cool day or nighttime landscape photography that you can do is time lapse. Now, this type of photography is more challenging than others, but it can also be a lot of fun as well. For this type of photography, you need a camera with a built in intrabolometer, or you'll need an external trigger device that can count the amount of time, and then fire the camera for you, such as the fantastic Pluto triggers that I have. You want to post your camera within an awesome scene. Whether you're doing daytime or nighttime is entirely up to you. You can shoot the moonrise in the sky and follow it as it rises and then falls below the horizon the next morning. Or you can even do the same with the sun. Your position, you position your camera and tripod where you feel you have an interesting scene, whether it's your local city, such as Atlanta or out in the deserts of Arizona. You get your timing set up either in camera or with the external trigger and just leave it for hours to shoot every, say, one minute or 10 minutes. It just depends on how many exposures you want in the end. Now, keep in mind that you'll either need a lot of batteries, a battery grip, or a way to power your camera externally with either vehicle power or long-life power bank. Now, if you're lucky enough to be shooting Fujifilm like myself or Sony, this is fairly easy to accomplish as most of their cameras allow charging via USB-C for, I believe, most of the models. Now, if you're shooting Nikon or Canon, only some of their newer mirrorless cameras allow USB-C charging. And for Canon especially, You have to buy a fairly expensive proprietary charger to do this that costs about $200. Now, once you have your time-lapse capturing done, then you're going to need to use software to combine them into a mini high-speed movie. You can use Adobe Premiere Pro or Apple's Final Cut Pro 10 to accomplish this. And there are also some free options out there. So just do a web search for free time-lapse photography. And the sample image I have in the show notes is one that somebody else did. I found on the internet, just doing a a random search. And it's of the moon coming up over the sky in Seattle. And you can tell it's Seattle, Washington, because you can see the space needle in the center of the frame. And it's absolutely beautiful. So you can check that out in the show notes. The next style of landscape photography I want to talk about is astrophotography. Now, astrophotography is another type of landscape photography that will really tax your patience, but it can yield some truly amazing results. Now, for this type of photography, you really need to be somewhere that you won't run into light pollution from a nearby city or large town. You want as much darkness around you as possible so you can focus on the lights in the sky. The desert is a great place to do astrophotography. Or if you're way out in the country, like where Tina and I live now in northern North Carolina. 
I would also recommend you use a tripod for astrophotography. A great one for this style of photography is the Platypod low-profile tripods, which allow your camera to sit right on the ground at ground level and capture. So you just mount your camera on the tripod with a very wide-angle lens, such as a 12-millimeter or even a 10-millimeter if you can find one that isn't a fisheye. Set your camera settings for an aperture of, say, f8 or f16. Tilt the camera up at the sky and shoot away. Now, this type of photography can also be a big drain on your battery. So again, take several, use a battery grip or external power. I would also recommend that you take a personal light that has, say, a red lens so you don't blow your night vision when you need to make adjustments to your camera. If you have the money to spend on it, you could even use night vision goggles to see even better. If you're in the desert or deep in the wilderness to do this style of photography, I would also recommend keeping an eye on your surroundings, as there may be nighttime predators around that you don't want catching you by surprise. Once you have your camera set up, then focus on a very distant object in the night sky and start capturing. When all is said and done, and you're back home editing these images, you'll likely have some truly breathtaking captures. And the sample image I have in the show notes is a person standing on top of some rocks with a flashlight or a flare or something in their left hand. They got their arms extended. They got their body basically in the shape of an X. And you can see a beautiful Milky Way sky in the distance past them. And it makes for a truly amazing image. The last type of landscape photography I wanted to talk about in this episode is forest photography. Now, forest photography is a type of landscape photography that can be one of the most challenging as you have to find something interesting to capture. Now, if you're lucky and you live in a place like the Pacific Northwest or Alaska or Canada or the northeastern part of PA, which is where I'm originally from, you can find some incredibly beautiful forests to shoot. But you need to have something more to make your images really pop, such as the deer drinking on the shore of the lake or pond, or maybe a bear in the river fishing for his or her next meal could make an amazing foreground subject. The autumn leaves in the fall can make for some truly amazing images with all the bright colors both on the trees and on the ground as the leaves fall off and blanket the area where you're shooting. Even winter forest landscapes can be truly amazing with the area blanketed in pure white snow. But this will throw you some new challenges as you will need to balance your exposure for the bright white snow versus the darker colors of the trees, whether they are pine trees that are still green or naked trees that are nothing but brown. Reflective water can be another great element to have in your forest landscapes as it will add a mirror-like quality to the image. And if you're at the right position and point of view, you could have a forest in both the top and the bottom half of your image. If there is, then that deer drinking at the shore will be reflected as well and make for a really interesting composition. And the example I have in the show notes is an image that I captured at 
uh, Gibbs Gardens in Ballground, Georgia, when I lived in Georgia. And it's in the Japanese garden section of the Botanical Garden. And you have some beautiful trees, mostly green, a little bit of uh, yellowish, and the red of the Japanese maples. And there's a pond in the foreground, so you have some reflection going on. You can see the walking path in the backside of the shot you know, weaving in among the trees just makes for really beautiful and serene images. Now, one of the types, uh, another subcategory of landscape photography that I could have included today and I didn't think of it until after I wrote up my show notes would be aerial landscape photography. And that's something that my friend Dan Bailey, who lives in Alaska, absolutely loves to do with his uh, private plane. He has a Cessna, I think it is, two-person plane. And he'll take his plane up and fly around the mountains in Alaska and shoot with his Fuji X-Series cameras right out the open window of his plane. And he gets some truly amazing photos that way. And you can find him on the internet at danbaileyphoto.com, as well as on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm sure he's on Facebook as well. Um, you can also accomplish the same thing if you can't afford to have your own plane or rent a plane. And I'm not bashing Dan, so don't think that. Um, it might be more feasible for you to get that kind of photography with a drone. So there is a sixth style of landscape photography that you could do, and that's aerial photography. So hopefully, uh, some of these subcategories of landscape photography will give you some ideas, something that you might not have already thought of to try out. Now, all of these genres I have personally tried, except for astro and time-lapse, but I'm hoping to maybe get around to doing at least one of those later on this year. So go out there, give one or all of these a try as a way to build your photography skills and come up with something you haven't shot before. And as I said earlier, you can find all of these sample images for this episode in the show notes. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's going to wrap episode 257 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts. Also wanted to remind you to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, like them, comment on them, share them out on social media. Hit the little bell icon so you can be notified as new content drops. And I did want to let my listeners know I'm going to be taking a two-week break from the show. I do apologize in advance. Tina and I are going to be traveling to New York State uh, for some time with family up there. And I'm also going to be shooting the next 
mini uh, sub-shoot for the overall huge project I started working on in October of 2021 for a big international studio. So I'll be doing another shoot for them while we're up there. And uh, I just figured it'd be too much hassle to drag all the podcasting gear with me. And I've got so much other stuff going on while I'm up there. It wouldn't be right to just, you know halfway do a decent episode for you. Now, when we do come back, which will be the weekend of July 4th, I may put out a Sunday episode that Sunday the 3rd because we'll be back on the 2nd. I haven't decided yet. But I'm thinking about revamping the news and rumors episodes on Sunday. Instead of reading you all of the latest news and rumors from the previous week, I'm thinking I might start searching the four rumor sites, find, you know, six of the what I think are the most interesting or best stories, tell you about those and then give you my personal feedback on them. So we may be changing the Sunday episode a little bit going forward, but we'll see. I'm still thinking about it and kicking it around. All right, that is it for this episode. I will see you all again after the break. Oh, and before I forget, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. This Sunday, June 19th, is Father's Day, so hopefully the wife and kids will take you out for a nice dinner and buy you some decent gifts, hopefully something better than a goofy light-up tie. (laughs) All right, happy Father's Day, dads. We'll see you all again in July.